This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Parshish Balak, everyone, 5781, Perik Chof He Pasik This is toward the end of the Parsha. Okay, toward the end of the Parsha, Bilaam and Balak are unsuccessful. They did not do what they set out to do. They wanted to curse out B'nai Yisrael. They wanted things to go badly for B'nai Yisrael. And thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu, right, everything that he did, HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't get angry. The curse never went through. He blessed us instead. So it says in Parachat Fei Vayeshev Yisrael B'Shitim, they were living in the land called Shitim, Vayochala Am Lizno Salbanos Moab. And the people began to go astray with the daughters of Moab. Now, be, be careful with this. It seems that the Benos Moab are the ones that seduced B'nai Israel and caused all this to happen. That's what it looks like right now. So the Dasikanim says that the word Vayeshev indicates something terrible is going to happen. We have this by Vayeshev Yaakov. Remember, Bikesh Yaakov Leshev Beshalva. He wanted to live tranquilly, peacefully, and then he was sold by his brothers. Vayeshev Yosef B'Mitzrayim led to, to his death right afterward. This is mentioned right afterward. Vayeshev Yisrael Yehuda Betach led to the split of the kingdoms of Yeruvim and Rechavim. Every time it says the word Vayeshev, when people try to act peacefully, like, oh, we can finally relax, we don't have to worry about anything anymore, that's when things go wrong. So they were sitting in Shittim, finally they're done. They defeated Sichon, they defeated Og. Moab and Ammon are not people that they're going to fight whatsoever. They don't care about them. Midian's a little too far. They just have to worry about when they go to Eretz Canaan. So for now, they've got six months, seven, however many months are left, just sitting peacefully in Shittim. And that's what he assumed was going to happen. Rav Hirsch says exactly that. They defeated Sichon. They defeated Og. They had all of their riches. They're sitting with all the wealth that they had captured over there, and they had a comfortable rest. They thought, before we embark on war, let's sit here, let's chill out for a little bit, and then afterward we'll go in and that should be that. And that is exactly the problem. The Shachal Torah says that the people have been traveling so long and they knew this was their last stop before they crossed the Jordan River. And it was. This is the last place that they were going to go. They considered it home for a little bit. We're going to consider this our home before we get to our home. Like our vacation home over in this area. After all, Reuven and Gud and Chatzis, Sheva, and Menashe were planning on taking this land anyway. Maybe they knew about that. Maybe they didn't know about that yet. We don't know the order of when Parshas, Bullock and Bilaam happened. We don't know. But it's possible that they already knew about that. But this, says the Shach, was foolish of them. Because instead of thinking of their travels as painful finally leading to chilling out and being calm, they should have seen how good it was. They had the Ananiah covered with them. They had the Be'er Shomirim. They had the Mun. People, calm down. What else could you possibly want? Yes, there were issues. There are always issues. You're traveling from place to place. And yes, it's annoying. You never know when a Kaddish Baruch is going to make you pick up. Yes, you're living in tents. I understand that. But people, you're living a charmed life. You're learning Torah all day with everything you need taken care of. That's how the Shach puts it. They wanted to settle down. They wanted to live a normal life again, says the Kaddish Baruch. What, you're rejecting my presence? You don't want my presence as in with a T-S, not the presence with a C-E, right? You, you think that it's going to be better if you go grow wheat and make bread? You have the man, you have the be'er, what else do you need? What are you asking? What are you complaining about? That's why Kaddish Baruch got upset. The Torah to Mima says exactly this idea. It says, our job is to work. 
to work our way up to the next world. So we don't get everything for free. Setting up shop here and enjoying life in Olam Hazet is, yes, part of this world. But if it causes hesachadas, if that's what it does, forgetting your grand mission in life, then you've got a problem. I have no issue with a guy saying, I'm going to Disney World, I'm going to Orlando, and I'm going to Disney World, and I'm going to go do something for a day with my kid. A hundred percent. But your mindset has to be so that we can come back and learn better and have something better. If it's just about the vacation, if you're living and working to vacation, then you've got a problem. If you're vacationing in order to go back to work properly, then you're doing everything the right way. Does everybody get what I'm saying with that? And it makes a lot of sense. Most of the world works to vacation. We should be vacationing to work as as difficult as that sounds, but that's what it is. And that's the difference between the word Vayichan, Vayichan Neged Ahor, Vayichan Am Neged Ahor, that they camped together knowing that this is temporary. They're not staying here. This is just for right now. And Vayeshev, I want to live here. I want this to be my place, my Moshav, the place where I'm going to be forever. That is problematic. That's the idea. The Malvim says that whenever a person is Vayichan in a machana then he's more careful about what he does because he realizes there are people around him he doesn't know. When a person is in their own home, they feel settled, people are willing to do things that they would never do otherwise. And I think everybody understands that. When you're on vacation, you're willing to wear something that you would never wear normally. You're willing to do something that you wouldn't do normally. You're willing to act in a certain way that you shouldn't do. But when you're in your house, I say it the opposite way, that they're willing to up until a point, because you don't want to make that. But if you're in your house, and you're sitting alone in your room, you might be willing to go a little bit further than where you are. That's how the Malbim ends up saying it, and it makes a ton of sense in that way, how to be able to go through. Says the Rush, one of the four or five reasons that B'nai Yisrael were Zoha to leave Egypt is because they were careful about Znos. They were careful about different people. We all know, right, they didn't speak their language they didn't change their language, they didn't change their names, they didn't change their clothing, right? They didn't speak Lashon Hara, and they didn't get involved in Arias. Only Shlomis Bas Divri. Only Shlomis Bas Divri. She was the only person who did something improper, and that might have been bonus, right? It might have happened against her will. Even throughout the 40 years in the desert, the one thing that B'nai Saul made sure to do, they would never go wrong about, they stayed away from Arias. They conquered their Yitzhahara for 250 years. Guys, just think about that for a second. 250 years, B'nai Yisrael prided themselves on not being involved in Arias. Only now, when they came to the land of Shittim, did something go wrong. And that tells you something. It's the first time that they actually felt that they were doing something in the wrong way. In Yol, we see a stream of Shittim. Yol talks about the stream of Shittim that is going to be reborn. It is the exact same place that we're talking about right now, all in Arvos Moab. They stayed in this area until they crossed the Jordan River. The Ibn Ezra says this is where the Maraglim were sent to go check out Yericho. They were sent from Shittim from this area to go check it out. Now Rashi says this was the actual name of the area that they stayed in. That's a machlokas. In Sanhedrin Kovav, there's two opinions. The first opinion is Rabbi Yoshua. It was called Shittim because they acted with shtus there. They acted in an immoral fashion in that area, so they called the word Shittim based on kisiste ishto, like from the word sota. That's where it comes from. That's the first one. Rabbi Elezer says that was always its name. Rashi goes with the more Pashup shot, and he goes there. It's a timeout. 
Whenever there's Machlokas, Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Eliezer, these are the two Talmud of Rabbi Yochan Mezakeh, both of them the Rebbe of Rabbi Akiva. That's Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus and Rabbi Yeshua ben Chananiah. Whenever you have Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Eliezer, we go with Rabbi Yeshua, mostly because Rabbi Eliezer was thrown in Cherem. If anybody knows that Gemara and Bab Metziah and Tesema Beis, Rabbi Eliezer was thrown in Cherem toward the end of his life, and we do not paskin like Rabbi Eliezer. 99% of the time we go with Rabbi Yeshua. So if Rashi sees a Machlokas, Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Eliezer, and we always go with Rabbi Yeshua over Rabbi Eliezer, why would he now choose to go with Rabbi Eliezer over Rabbi Yeshua and say, Kach Shema, that's the name of the city, go with Rabbi Eliezer. The answer is, Rashi always goes with Pashat Pshat. Whenever he has a Pashat answer and a more complicated answer, Rashi is going to give you the more, more Pashat simple answer. And therefore over here, saying that Shittim is its name is more Pashat than saying anything else. That's the idea behind it. That's why Rashi says that. And that's what Mizrahi says over there as well. Surah Mor says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was Maktim Rafua Lamaka by suggesting that they donate Atzei Shittim. Remember, they used that for the Mishkan, the wood, the acacia wood, although we don't know exactly what Atzei Shittim are. He took those Atzei Shittim and they went ahead and they donated it because of what was going to happen 40 years later in the land called Shittim to be Machaper for what was going to happen over there. Now, the Orachai Makadur says something a little crazy. I don't know if anybody's heard this before, but I think we all understand this. Do you know how, like, sometimes there are certain areas where if you just drink the water, your teeth will not get any cavities? That doesn't happen in Chicago. I wouldn't worry about that in Chicago. But there's just a lot of fluoride in the water. There's, like, natural fluoride in the water itself. So there are certain areas, they never brush their teeth, and yet still their mouths are clean. They don't have any issues because of the fluoride in the water. There are certain areas said to Orachim HaKadosh, that have a natural ability within the land itself to cause those who live in it to desire znus more. That they have a, a, a prolific ability to be involved with znus because of the place where they are. It could be that Shittim is a lushan of taking a trip. Shatua Ambalaktu, they went out, they traveled, and they collected the mun. B'nai Yisrael walked out of the camp in this area that was known for its, I, I, I guess, there's nus, what it does to people, how it causes a person to say, and that caused them to have a desire like they'd never had before. Had they stayed inside the Ananiya Kavod, this never would have happened. They would have been okay. But they didn't. They left. And because they left, now they're going to get involved in something that they absolutely never should have been involved with. Now the rush... And the Rabbeinu Bechaya, it's also in the Medrash Rabbah and the Medrash Tanhuma, say there are some springs that cause those who drink from them to be strong. There are some springs that if you drink from them, you're going to become weaker. Some areas bring about beauty. Others bring about ugliness. Some allow for tsunuin, And others allow for stufim business. This area, says the Rosh and the Rabbeinu Bechaya, based on those Midrashim, was an area, as the Orachim Akaru said, that was filled with snooze. It grew your taivas. This was the river that used to flow down to the area of Sidom. And the men of Sidom, Amora, Adma, Tzvoyim, etc., and so are, they used to drink from this water, and it caused them to become the cruel, evil people that they became. It, they were affected by their water. They were affected by the water that was inside there. It grew their taivas. And in the end, HaKadosh Baruch Hu dried up this stream. This stream no longer existed. It never bothered them ever again. But it did grow back, as we say in Yol. It's funny, right? Everybody knows the story of the Chicago River here in Chicago. Chicago River used to be that it flowed outward into Lake Michigan. Now, our drinking water, right, here in Chicago, we get it from Lake Michigan itself. 
Well, the problem was that all the garbage that people had, they would throw into the river, and they would go straight out to Lake Michigan. In fact, the top five, I don't remember if it's number four or number five, of the most polluted rivers in the world is the Chicago River. There's a part of the Chicago River that's right there where they used to throw all these things, these, these unbelievable, like, shkita parts, one after the other, and they threw it inside there. The place is so toxic, it continuously bubbles, and they can't get rid of it. It's an unbelievable river. It's a great thing to take your kids to see if you want them to really smell toxic fumes. It's an amazing place to go. So what do they do? The, the Chicago River was going straight out to Lake Michigan. They realized that, and they were drinking water that was contaminated by all the garbage that they were throwing in there. So they realized, we don't have to make it that way. They created a system, and anybody who's been downtown has seen this, where they lock up the Chicago River, and instead of it going out to Lake Michigan, they reversed the flow, and they push it the other way, and they cause the river to go the opposite way. They close it off so that Lake Michigan goes in at some point, and then they push it out with pumps going the other direction. So it leads outside of the city, and the river then goes, eventually meets up with the Mississippi River. Now, the Mississippi River is the main source of water for St. Louis, right? So we're sending all of our garbage to them, which is 100% the right thing to do. That's number one. And number two, it explains so much about Missouri. Not that I dislike St. Louis people, but, I, I mean, it, it just explains a lot. Have you ever seen a Cardinals fan, right, with their jorts, <laughs> you know, and a mullet right, from 1983, right? That's, that's just what it is, and that's perfectly fine. So that, that, that's where they get it from. See, that's what happens. Water can affect you. They say even nowadays that many of the issues that plague our nation, and I'm dealing with people's loss of identity and inability to figure out who they are as people, and being called they instead of something else, may be because, simply put, tons and tons of pills are flushed down the toilet and thrown into the water supply all the time. Those pills eventually cause those chemicals to be in our drinking water. The drinking water is there. There's a massive theory that's out there that many people are drinking certain things that are causing them to think in the wrong way, and they can't get over it. Yeah, what were you going to say? That's the real truth that happened with Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's just injection of a lot of drugs. That's not a question whatsoever. But that's the idea behind it, right? Injection of drugs is also bad. I'm just saying that this water issue is also there. The Torah Tamima quotes Sanhedrin Kuf Beis and Aleph, which brings down the concept of Makom Garin. Oh, right, he's a St. Louis fan, isn't he? Uh-huh. Ellie, you're a St. Louis. I totally forgot about that. Makom Garin. And that seems to be the case here, at least according to Rabbi Eliezer. It's Makom Garin. We, we bring it up by Kidor as well in Yuma, Pegamo Beis. Remeir refused to give him money to watch because Shma Garin, the name caused it. There's something involved in the name itself. Time it asks, why this is called shitim in this Pusik if it was actually nachal shitim that caused them to sin. It shouldn't be shitim, it should be nachal shitim, it should be vayeshev yisrael ben nachal shitim, they were by nachal shitim. If it's the river, if it's the water, then blame the water, don't blame the, blame the place. And he says, that's why the Gemara has to darshan what shitim means, because it's about the river, but it's the name that was affected by what happens over here. That's what Chaim Knievsky and his idea over here. Sam Sofer says, the Gedolim and Chashuvim among them. At this time in Shittim, remember how we said before, they they wanted to sit tranquilly, they were chilling out. They weren't learning the way they should have. They knew it was toward the end. And, and listen, I, I'm, I'm not blaming anybody for this, but everybody knows. When Bein Azmanim is coming up in any yeshiva, there's a rifyum. 
There's a weakness. That, that, like People start saying, like, it's, so it's the end anyway. Like I only got a couple more days. It should be, I only have a couple more days. I should put more hours into it before I go off. But has anybody here ever done that? Did anybody say, uh, like, before you go on vacation and you're at work, the last day before you go on vacation, you sit there like, I got to work doubly hard because I'm not working tomorrow. Nobody thinks that way. So that's what happened. The gedolim among them, the tzaddikim among them, became a little bit mevatel and we're starting to get involved with shkus. And that led to Vayochala Ami, led to the people going off, the regular Amiratsim, who didn't know, they followed. But the Gedolim at least were involved with positive things. They started getting involved with negative things. Every Gadol says Aksam Sofer, every leader has to remember this, to know how their actions affect directly and indirectly the rest of the people of the nation themselves. They all have to know, they have to realize that what could happen. Miam Loez says that Bilam told Balak before he left, no matter what they did to fight Klai Yisrael, they would never win. Why? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu fights the wars for them. So you're not going to win. It's all HaKadosh Baruch Hu. How are you going to get rid of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? The only thing you can do is make sure that HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't get involved with Klai Yisrael. How can HaKadosh Baruch Hu not get involved in Klai Yisrael? The answer is Nus. The one thing that Hashem hates more than anything else is Nus, when people get involved in things that they shouldn't be getting involved with. For that reason, says Miam Loez, God will leave them. If you get them involved in Znus, bad things will happen. That's what he promised them, and that's what he told them to do. Rev Hirsch says this beautifully. The sword of no stranger and the curse of no stranger has the power to damage B'nai Yisrael. Only B'nai the Yisrael themselves could bring about their own misfortune through their own sins by seceding from HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the Torah. That's the only way that this could happen, and that's exactly what happened. B'nai Yisrael caused that. So what did happen? Bilam advised them earlier that he knew that HaKadosh Baruch Hu hated Znos. The fact that Bilam was involved is written very clearly by Rashi and Parachav Dalapasu that he told them, I atzacha, atoy yatzacha, I'm going to give you advice. Do Znos. He suggests what they do to B'nai Yisrael. Set up a marketplace, and everybody knows this medrash, right? There will be older women on the outside who are sitting there and offering a certain price for the wares that they had, convincing them that if they went inside the tent, there would be better prices inside. And Yom said they specifically sold linen. Because B'nai Yisrael had not seen good linen since they left Mitzrayim, and that's what they had in Mitzrayim. I guess cotton as well. But linen and that, that sort of clothing, they had an eye for it. It grew all over the place in Mitzrayim, so they wanted it very badly. So they kept it inside the tent itself. The inner tent was filled. It was made warm with spices, good perfume. And they put a beautiful young girl there who was offering them even lower prices to keep them around. It was a successful practice, right? They, the men all succumbed to the temptation that was there. The Rabbeinu Ephraim says, because Bilaam suggested this, his punishment in Gehenim is to sit in Shechvas Zerah Roschen, boiling Shechvas Zerah. Can't get much worse than that, although Oso Aish, who may be known as Yeshu, is sitting in boiling feces. Not sure which is worse. I have absolutely no idea. I don't want to try it. So because of that, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> that would be a smart idea. Stay away from Shlomo, what are you going to ask? Oh, hold on, hold on. Shlomo, hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. The Ramban and Tour say this did not start with women trying to seduce the Jewish men. That's not what was happening. That was never a suggestion. That was never the involvement. Nobody thought of that. That wasn't something there. They were told to do so by their elders and the advisors. It wasn't the women that were doing anything. The elders and the advisors told these girls, this is what you have to do. And the chief advisor had always been Billam. The truth is, we honestly, we don't have any details. We don't know who really suggested it, how it really happened. We just know that it wasn't women with taivas 
on their own trying to seduce Klai Yisrael. There were other people involved. It could be that, in fact, Bullock and Bilam originally wanted to curse them, and that's what he saw. But when he saw that they were going to be unsuccessful, and that B'nai Yisrael would not take over their land until many, many years later, listen to what the Ramban says. It could be that Bullock resigned himself to that fact and said, you know what? If they're going to be here and we can't curse them, we're not going to be able to fight them, then let's make peace with them instead. And Bullock did this accidentally. Meaning the Ramban is taking against that medrash that Rashi quotes and says they did it accidentally. Bullock just said, let's make peace. When they made peace, obviously they brought along some of their women. Some of the Jews were attracted by those women. So they took them as wives, even though they shouldn't have, they knew that wasn't the right thing to do, but they took them as wives and even questioned Moshe Rabbeinu. Why is this the wrong thing? These women are there for the taking. Why can't we marry them? It could be that it wasn't just the eights of Bilam. It could be that this is just almost like innocent on Bullock's part that caused B'nai Yisrael to do something there. He may not have been malicious at all. It's a crazy Ramban, but it's possible it just happened naturally. Look, this is kind of our world, isn't it? Where it could be that there are some... Some of the people of the other nations out there are not maliciously trying to hurt anybody. They're just doing something that ends up leading to Morsnus in this world. It could be that they honestly have good intentions involved. They have no idea what they're doing. And the result is we're the ones being destroyed. That's a possibility. Rabbi Victor Miller takes this to such an extreme. Listen, this is classic Rabbi Victor Miller. On his way out, right, Bilam may have seen a couple young men fraternizing with the young Midianite or Moabi women that were around there. It's possible. He just saw them, and he saw them talking to each other, and they were innocent. They weren't doing anything crazy. They weren't going to do anything more than that. They were just around doing nothing wrong. Bilam realized at that moment, he said, this is a good opportunity to take advantage of an Yisrael. If those men were doing that, maybe we can take advantage of this in some other way. The custom back in the day, says Victor Miller, is that they used to make welcoming feasts, right? This is sort of like a play on the Ramban, you know what I'm saying? They made welcoming feasts, especially for winning warriors. Like when a warrior would win a battle, they'd bring them back and they'd make a welcome feast. And unfortunately, that devolved into really, really terrible things with Znus, etc. But a lot of drinking and a lot of whatever it is, and that's what they do. Bilam suggested the people make a feast, a simple feast. That's all it was. B'nai Yisrael not knowing that they had failed at cursing them. And the feast was for Og and Sihon are gone. Moab and Midian are super happy that Og and Sihon were destroyed. We'd like to thank you. And they made a massive party, right, convincing them, the B'nai Yisrael, that we're super happy that you're here. We'd love for you to stay. And the Midianim sent in their princesses. The Moabim sent in their princesses. And that's what happened. This was a brilliant plan by one of the most diabolical minds that has ever existed. A brilliant man on the level of Moshe Rabbeinu, who was on the other side and did everything for Tuma. Or was an idol. Also, uh, I'm sorry? Plus they were also eating mud all day, so of course they wanted that real food. Yeah, because once they saw the real food, they had that taiva that was sitting there and they knew it, Right. Pa'or was an idol that had many adherents. And the basic idea behind Pa'or is make your own decisions. Don't be bogged down. Don't feel like you're chained down to anything. You want to go to the bathroom on the idol? 
go to the bathroom on the idol. You can do anything you want, and we're not going to stop you. That was the basic tenet of the religion of Baal Pa'or. For a person who's in Klal Yisrael, who's learning all day long, who has 613 mitzvahs, who has all these durabunans that they have to keep in some way, shape, or form, can you imagine what that does for them? Here's a God that, don't worry about anything. You can do anything you want. You, it's up to you. You could even go to the bathroom on, the, on, on that idol. And even when they thought that that was ridiculous, a stupid thing, well, what the world, you go to the bathroom? Who goes to the bathroom on an idol? And they knew that was dumb. But to them, it started to make sense. You know what? Why, why are we doing all these things? Why does the Kodesh Baruch really care how I tie my shoes when I wake up in the morning? You think he really cares if I do it right foot, then left foot, and I'm a lefty. Left tie, right tie, for righties. Right tie, then left tie. You think God really cares about that? The, the, the minutia that's involved in keeping the laws of Klal Yisrael, that when I go into a shower, I have to bathe on my right side first, and then my left side? Really? And that is, that's how it's brought down in Shulchan Aruch that you're supposed to do it. Your head first, and then you go down your right side, and then your left side. Really? There's a, a halacha on how to wipe oneself when one's in the bathroom? HaKadosh Baruch who really needs to spend a blot of Gemara explaining to me about rocks and what to do? Is that really where we're, where we're going? What in the world does that mean? Well, all of these things, I mean, I, don't get me started with Kiddush Levana, right? I, if, if we go on, there are so many Allahos that we sit there and we're just like, we have no idea. So these people, the people that were there, they understood. And Bilam understood that we just have to show them that these things are absolutely crazy. So they gathered women, only unmarried women, unmarried women, beautiful women, but people that were unmarried that were chosen for this task. And they guaranteed them riches and probably Olam Haba. You know how they do it, right? You destroy a Jew, you get Olam Haba for it. They probably promised them everything in the world, and they were well rehearsed in their roles. They knew exactly what to do. Shevet, Shimon, and the other men of B'nai Yisrael were used to the humble and sinua women of the desert of Dora Midbor. They weren't used to women acting crazy or speaking up to them or speaking their minds in this way, in such an unsinua way, that once they heard it, they were, like, they were enthralled. Who are these people? What are they doing? And obviously, when they were confronted with beautiful, friendly girls who openly displayed their beauty and spoke to them very directly, and their language was similar, because remember, Moab and Ammon are children of Lot. Midian is a son of Avram. He's one of the six children that Avram had with Keturah. So whatever language they had, the Midiani language, Moabi language, and Ammoni language, must have been similar enough to Hebrew because it all came from the Abrahamic line. So they all spoke the same basic language. Once that happened, then the Jews probably saw an opportunity to grow. Hey, maybe we could proselytize. We could be Megayer, these girls, right? I mean, if they're worshiping Baal Pa'or, imagine what they'd be like if they saw God, right? If they saw the month. And I'm sure they had those thoughts. Says over Victor Miller, this isn't so far to think. It's clear that that's what happened. And that's how they got, they got them to get around here. And it was one of the hardest tests that B'nai Yisrael had ever gone through. One of the hardest ones. One of the most difficult. And many people were fine with it. But there were some, even if it was just 24,000, it was still 24,000 people that did not pass the test. That did not pass and were involved, not just in this Nus and Shlomo, that's what I was saying before, not just that that's Nus, but getting involved in Balpoor, one leading to the other, leading them to where it was over there. Oznayim Latorah says, simply put, if you go through this Parsha, 
you don't get what just happened. You said before, Ruben, trying to understand this parasha. Start from the beginning, and Bilam wants to curse Al-Klal Yisrael. And it doesn't work, right? And Akadosh Baal is like, there's no way it's going to happen. He tries once, it doesn't work twice. Third time, nothing works. There is nothing Bilam can do to curse Al-Klal Yisrael. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of pretty girls come, and all, they're, they're done? And Akadosh Baal, and just Akadosh Baal, who takes away his protection, he protected them from Bilam three times in a row. Three times in a row. You can't protect them from these girls. You know what Akadosh Baruch Hu could have done? Very easily. Very easily. A storm happened on the day that the girls set out to meet Shevet Shimon. A storm happened, and Shevet Shimon was like, yeah, you know what, I don't want to go out in this storm. I'm going to go back home. So instead of going to the marketplace that day, they went home. Is that so hard? Why would Akadosh Baruch Hu allow this to happen, to make it happen? It just doesn't make any sense. Especially when Bilam had just said, Lo hibit oven biyakov lo ra amo biyisrael. There's no sins. I can't find any sins in Kalal Yisrael. And he just said to wait five minutes, and all of a sudden there's a 24,000 people? It, it, something's wrong, right? And I, I'm assuming that's what you meant by this Parsha is an impossible Parsha to understand. It just doesn't make any sense. Something's wrong in the way we're learning it over here. And he answers, simply put, this is the way of the Satan. It's simple put. You knock a person down little by little, today and then tomorrow, until he ends up doing a Barazara. Again, all the Satan did was, what's the big deal in walking through the streets of Moab? And again, the people looked at each other and said, you're right, there's nothing wrong. So Kadosh Baruch Hu didn't stop them. Because there was nothing wrong with walking through the streets of Moab. Right? And then, what, what, later on, there was stuff there that they wanted to buy. Pishtun that they hadn't seen for a long time. Food that they hadn't really had for a long time. So they had a desire for it. There's nothing wrong with that. Is it usher to go buy meat? Is it usher to buy nice clothing? Right? No, it's not usher. There's nothing wrong with it. So they excused them. They said there's nothing wrong. And again, what's a Kaddish Baruch going to do? Stop them from buying clothes or from eating food? There's nothing wrong so far. They haven't done anything wrong. Only after they started drinking the wine. And again, there's nothing wrong with drinking wine. At this point... It's a, it's a machlokas, but Yayan Nesech was not usher yet, which meant wine that was even libated to Avodah was not necessarily usher yet, and for sure not Yayan Stam, for sure not wine that was touched by an Anjou. So there was no issue. Even if they served them wine, what's the big deal? But once you drink that wine and you got yourself in a bad spot, and now you have a beautiful girl sitting in front of you who starts to get themselves undressed, now it's taken it too far. Now you don't know what to do. Now what do you want, HaKadosh Baruch Hu? You want HaKadosh Baruch Hu to send a storm right there at that moment? HaKadosh Baruch Hu can't send a storm. He's not going to stop you if you put yourself in a situation where you can come to an Avera. He's not going to stop you. Now, again, did B'nai Yisrael do anything wrong to get to that point? No, not necessarily. We're doing everything perfectly correct. But was there more that they could have done, watched out for, been careful about? How about I'm not going into that room with that woman without another person with me? Or maybe three people with me. Maybe four people with me. I'm not going into the room. Maybe that's what they should have said. Maybe they should have been more careful with where they go. And that's the idea behind it. And maybe it's more. Maybe it's just all about trying to say to yourself, maybe I don't need that, so do I really have to go on it? Listen, I, I, the internet is an unbelievable thing, right? But we all know that even though I can get something really, really cheap through Amazon, right, there's tons of Tuma waiting right there, even with filters. Even with filters. If you don't know how to get around a filter by now, I don't believe you're under the age of 50, right? If, 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 if everybody can get around them, right? No matter what you do, you're going to be able to get around them. And we know this. It's unbelievably dangerous. And the good comes with that horrible bad, the horrible, horrible bad. And we all know it. 
says the Oznayim Torah, just like when the wife of Yosef, the wife of Potiphar grabbed onto Yosef's clothing, but to he says, you know what that means? This is a brilliant explanation. I never heard this before. She looked at Yosef and said, you're such a good-looking guy, you deserve better clothing. So she suggested to Yosef that he change his clothing into something more beautiful. And he said, okay, that's mutter. Is that, there anything wrong with that? But you know what that led to? Aishas Potiphar, Zleika, and Yosef having a relationship. That's what it caused. It started something between them, even though it wasn't a bad thing. Says the Oznayim Torah, that's what happens. It's slowly but surely taking you down little by little, knocking you down from where you are to make you into something that you don't want to be. And that's that. Now, the truth is, the Orachim HaKadr says, it was not everybody that did this. It was only the Am that got involved with this. In fact, I, I know that we say Shevet Shimon. Many say, this is from the Midrashim themselves, that it wasn't Shevet Shimon. It was only the Erev Rav that were involved with, with everything that happened with the Benos Midian and the Benos Moav. It was not the regular people. They never would have done that. The Shach adds, the Am was the Erev Rav. They had always been Shtufei Zima Mitzrayim, and they were the people that Surah Moore says only the Erev Rav. Surah Moore says this as well, only the Erev Rav. They'd never forgotten two months of Mitzrayim. Now, did the other people also get involved? Yeah, Shevet Shimon was around. But they weren't the ones who were together with the women. They weren't the ones who were doing Baal Pa'or. But they were involved in it, and they heard about it. They didn't say anything about it. They didn't do anything about it. That was a problem. That is a major, major issue. Ksava Kabbalah says that, in fact, B'nai Yisrael all stayed away from this. But they thought that Baal Pa'or was mutter. Because again, are you bowing down to Baal Pa'or? You sacrificing to Baal Pa'or? Libating wine on top of Baal Pa'or? Sprinkling blood in front of Baal Pa'or? Defecating in front of Baal Pa'or? Yeah, and that was super weird. Like the people were looking at it, they're just like, I could do it better. <laughs> and a guy goes in. That Gemara, I forgot where it is. I think it's in Sota Yid Gimel. I forgot exactly where it is. Where that guy goes into Valpor, he says, how do you do this, Avodah Zarah? And the woman said, the woman said, you just have to defecate in front of it. So he goes in and he takes his, when he defecates in front of the idol and he rubs it on his nose. And the priests are like, no one has ever done the service of Valpor like that guy, like that Jew. We don't, it, it, it doesn't hit us. You know what that means? It basically means that this Jew is just like, I can do anything I want. And that was the problem. That was the issue, as we said before. That's the concept behind it. There are those that say, and we're going to end with this idea, that these women were not actually Benos Moab. Even though it says that it was the Benos Moab that were involved over here, they were actually the Benos Midian who dressed themselves up as Moabi women. The Abarbanel gives a bunch of proofs for this. Number one, the Torah tells us what Moab and Ammon did to Bnei Yisrael, why they weren't allowed to marry into Bnei Yisrael later on. They don't mention anything about this. Causing Bnei Yisrael to do Znus and do Avodah Zarah? Moab can't join us because they didn't greet us with bread and water. They didn't stay because of this. It must be that Moab wasn't involved in this. Number two, Moabi women were always allowed to marry into Kla Yisrael. Moabi, Vila Moavis. That's the reason why Rusa Moavia was able to marry Boaz. Because Moabi women were allowed. If the Moabi women did this, you'd think they wouldn't be allowed. But clearly they were allowed. Can't be that they were Moabi women. Number three, the Midianite women were the ones who were killed later. In Paraklamid Aleph, it says, Hain, Hain, Ahayulubin, It's referring to the Midianite women, not the Moabi women. So it sounds like they were the ones who sinned, and that's that. Kazbi Basur. What nationality was she? Kazbi Basur. 
She was a Midianite princess. Sur was one of the princes of Midian. Yes, I know. Balak was the king of Moab, and Sur is Balak. It's the same person. Cosby was his daughter. I get that. But you know what they say, right? Rashi brings it down to the very beginning. That Balak was only named as the king of Moab because he was from Midian, grew up with Moshe Rabbeinu, and they wanted him to fight against Moshe Rabbeinu himself. And by the way, as a timeout, it does make sense. There's a Tzfer's son that quotes a Medrash that Balak ben Sipor, he's named Sipor, right? Sipor is always a reference to a ger. Anybody <coughs> named after a bird refers to a ger in Klai Yisrael. Sipor is Yisro. Balak is Yisro's kid. Yisro is the son of Midian. Midian is the son of Avram and Keturah. You have Avram, Midian, Yisro, Balak. And that's Balak ben Sipor. So he is related to us. He has some sort of whatever it is, but he for sure was not Moabi. So it's only Midianite woman. That's the Abarbanel. Now the truth is there are those that knock out all these answers. The Abarbanel tries to say that, but there are those that knock it out. But either way, it seems clear that the Midianite women were heavily involved. And the Moabi women may have also been involved, but the Midianite women were the number one mention over here. I'm just going to answer, say at the very, very end. Rev. Victor Miller points out that both Midian and Moab, as we said before, related to Klal Yisrael. Midian, obviously, from Avram Vinu, and Keturah, right? And while Moab was Lot's daughter, etc. Both of them had that concept of Al-Kadosh Baruch Hu and Al-Kadosh Baruch Hu ran the world. But they missed out on something big. See, B'nai Yisrael were, what's the right word, guys? Made a siyog around them, a fence around them, and said, whatever Hashem tells us to do, we'll do. We're fenced in. That's our job. That's what we do. But they, Moab and Midian, went off and decided we can find our own way to God. What's the name of Yishmael? What does Yishmael mean? That word, Yishmael. God will listen. I'm going to make a decision and God will follow it up and listen to me. That's what Yishmael feels. I'm going to do it and God will follow it up. Right? Asav is to do something. I'm going to get up and do it and God will be allowed, etc. Midian and Moab also felt that way. We're going to do stuff on our own. We're going to make our own decisions. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu will follow up with us. And that's the idea. That's what Baal is. And that's the reason why, unfortunately, that never could work out with Kali. So we can never have a situation like that. All right, guys. We'll stop with that. Have a great 